Well, hello and welcome to the JLA Casks, um, a podcast in which we normally talk about uh, the life and times of Grant Morrison. Uh, however, due to, um, well, there's no nice way of putting it, uh, a failure on um, the parts of your hosts, where there will be no no new episode this week. Uh, we're very, very sorry about that, but um, despite our best efforts, PJ and I just... Uh, couldn't uh couldn't make it work uh this time around um i'm going to play the uh mitigating circumstances card uh, to say that um you know just events beyond our control meant it wasn't possible um however we're also just terrible people so um a very a very uh, heartfelt apology from pj and i um in the absence of a new episode and i know you're probably thinking Crying out loud, this is like a year-long story, uh, JLA year one. If you keep skipping episodes, it's going to take uh, take even longer. Um, we will get there. We absolutely will. We are determined to see this through to the end, and we're very much enjoying it. But in the meantime, I thought I would make up for uh, our failure by um, doing a recap. Let's, uh, let's revisit an old episode and a good one at that. Um, so I went back through the archives and dug up a standalone story. Uh, you should be familiar with it because we've covered it before. We're going all the way back to episode 11, Woman of Tomorrow, which I believe was published like way back in 2020. Not long, I guess, you know, well into the early uh, the early phase of the show. And of course, I mean, what, what am I, why am I worrying about it being dated? It's a 1997 comic book, but... There we go. So yes, um, uh, if you would like to just re-listen to a classic, uh, simply leave your podcast player running and you'll get a full episode of Woman of Tomorrow, one of our favourite standalone Justice League stories. Um, As a little bit of housekeeping, um, I hope you'll join uh, PJ and I in wishing Elliot Red, the composer of our amazing theme tune, a very happy birthday. Um, Obviously, Justice, the title track, captures the spirit, the tone, the nobility of um, of your two hosts and also our uh, our favourite heroes at that. And um, yes, and what else? Um, oh yeah, I hopefully, on a non-Justice League related front, um, I personally hope to have some rather cool news to share with you all soon. Um, all a bit hush-hush at the moment, but um, there could be a non a non-Justice League comic on the horizon with um, with my name on it. So, yes, look forward to chatting about that. Um, in Anything else to talk about? Oh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Peter David's run on the Hulk lately. Um, that's it. That's where my thought begins and ends. I don't know if that gives you any inspiration to try and um, uh, dive back into that wonderful period of um, publishing history. Uh, I have actually been trying to um, track down some collected editions of that run and uh, hit upon the rather interesting problem of Marvel's slightly sporadic way in which they have collected some of their past work. Um, If you were to try and get hold of the completed Peter David run on Hulk, I think it's a toss-up between the, I believe they called it the Visionaries run, where they try to spotlight a particular creator, and the Hulk like Ultimate Omnibus editions, which is a bit confusing because I, as I understand it, I think it technically starts at volume 
19, because I think they're counting the Hulk, you know, all the way back to like 1963, whenever it was. So, um, yeah, it's a little, it's a little inconsistent and hard to get hold of, uh, which is a shame because I think I would really like to plug that gap in my, in my library. And, uh, I had a bit of, um, kind of birthday money left over and I was like, oh, maybe I'll treat myself and get one of the volumes. And you cannot get, uh, to my knowledge at least, you cannot get an ultimate omnibus edition, even just one of God knows what, like the 10 books it would take to complete the uh, Peter David run for less than like 120 quid. So yeah, they are pricey volumes. So um, yeah, it might have to live in my dreams until I can find an alternate way of getting hold of it. But yeah, so pardon my rambling um, and pardon our, well, our inexcusable lack of a new episode this week. Um, I hope you'll join us again soon once PJ and I return to the grind and return to JLA year one. In the meantime, please enjoy this recap of one of our favourite solo episodes of JLA. Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars, which is a mouthful. I'm, I'm, I'm regretting saying that every every week now. <laughs> we need to workshop it, PJ. We need to like, need to think of like um, your wanna, your zinger. The adaptation of... S J S T T W. I mean, that's what the cool kids are are calling it. John, the cool kids don't know what it is. There must be forums, PJ. I imagine. I imagine. You know, the fighting fantasy yeah, community. I, re- I recently left that forum because there's a lot of gatekeepers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you made the official graphic novel adaptation or anything. I don't think you had the the necessary credentials to be there. Really. I mean, you're right. Who am I? Who, am Who are I? you? Who the hell are you, PJ? For God's sake. <laughs> um, this is one of those those kind of weird episodes where I guess I was late. I should I should just kind of put my hand up and admit that. And, and then we both kind of realised we were so excited to just start talking about this issue that we were like, just get the mics on, like just go for it. We just gotta, we just gotta get in there. Yeah, and I it, was, I was nearly late, but because John was actually late, he doesn't know that yet. Now he does. But oh, okay, fine, fine, <laughs> right. Just, just make me feel bad. Uh-huh. Um, so we have, um, in the nicest way possible, because it was a fun jaunt, but we have gone round the houses to get to this point. We yes. had a massive detour. And now we're back. We're back, baby, like, on the main series. I, I can't remember. What episode number are we on now with this with this show? Oh, my life, PJ. This is... This will be episode 11. However, 
it is really our 12th episode because we had the super secret yeah. episode zero. But numbered episodes. So episode one, we started with JLA one. Somehow, this is episode 11, <laughs> and today we're doing JLA five. <laughs> I can think of no greater tribute to comics as a medium. Oh, completely. It does feel very much like a, a, that's how 90s comics just were. <laughs> this will be like... It'll be like... We'll get to like episode 17, and then we'll realise that that's a barrier for new fans. <laughs> so we'll, we'll renumber the series back to episode one. But then, around the time we would hit episode 50... We'll jump back to the original numbering just so we can have a fold-out cover. And there'll, there'll be a, a, a title change as well, JLA cast unplugged or something. Because I remember they did that with Thor, didn't they? Yeah. Because I want to say, because for the longest time in Marvel continuity... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, PJ, because you are a font of knowledge, but they would always refer to like it being a volume. And I want to say that like from 1963 to 1995 that was volume one yeah then they did heroes reborn which was volume two well not with thor because thor didn't have a hero's return book he was just in the avengers book so he didn't have Ah. his own book for heroes reborn but then when j michael Straczynski and olivia capel took on thor kind of like mid-2000s i want to say that was suddenly thor volume Three. That was volume three, because volume two was the hero's return. Thor keeps having gaps, so you get that volume one, and then he doesn't have a hero's reborn title, while you do have Captain America, Avengers, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, volume two. And then they all come back with volume threes, and Thor, a few months later, gets his relaunch with his volume two as hero's return. Right. And then that runs up until um, Avengers disassembled. Oh, wait, so sorry, was volume... Was Volume 2 everything from Heroes Return to Disassembled? Yeah, so basically all of Dan Jurgen's run and then like the six-issue story at the end by another team. Right. It is weird, isn't it? Like, I feel if your first volume has got nearly 40 years of content or and then your second volume has maybe like 10 years and then I think they threw the volume concept out the window because... Like, wasn't it like Thor Volume 3, Episode Issue 26? They suddenly renumbered it because they were coming up on the 500th ever issue of Thor. Well, that's that's where it gets even weirder, in my opinion, because they they renumber it to the original numbering. Then they relaunch it as Thor again with Thor number one, I think when Matt Fraction, I think, comes on board. But at the same time, they continue the original numbering as Journey into Mystery, um, because that was the book, obviously, that Thor first appeared in, that then became Thor. And the first, first, I I can't remember which issue he debuted in, I want to say 20-something, but it was like the first 20-something odd issues of Thor were actually Journey into Mystery. And that, I think, when you've got Thor and Journey into Mystery running concurrently in the 2000s, that's just when you can throw the volume idea and all of that confusing <laughs> stuff out the window. It just gets... it's a, it's a It messes with your head to try and work it out. Comics, everybody. Comics. <laughs> um, now, to, PJ, to bring us back onto the subject of the JLA, uh, we, were, we were each discussing our physical trade paperback 
of JLA American Dreams. Yes, the uh, the book that contains issue five. It starts with issue five. It, it actually contains issues five to nine of JLA, uh, which will be the next run of episodes that we're looking at. And PJ, we were both just saying uh, off air how thin our respective volumes are, and how like this is, I don't know, this this somehow all most Marvel DC image standard graphic novels now collected trade paperbacks they always seem to have a fairly standard width there seems to be like an industry standard for what a story arc is nowadays and these are pretty these are pretty skinny by comparison well my i'm wondering if maybe this was supposed to be some kind of a budget release because it's a five issue book and for a five issue book it, it is as you say really thin but it's about the same size, I think, as, as New World Order, which is a four-issue book. But I also noticed that they've really they've skimped on the pages because the the legal stuff um, and the graphic novel credits on my copy, anyway, all appears on the inside front cover, which oh is just God, plain yes. white with then all the, the, the credits and everything there. You get one title page with the credits for the creators and then a page over the leaf, which is the roll call. And then, and they're then right it's into just it. straight into the story. But they don't reprint any of the covers inside. They're all on the back cover of my book. Mm. Uh, the issue covers are there. Without yeah, same for me. Not yeah, much it's in the really... way of a blurb. And then my inside back cover then is just a list of other JLA collections you can get. It is It is very odd, isn't it? Like, it, it's like... This isn't a like this isn't an arc, is it? Like there is, it, it, it's. I really love this book. I should just put that out there. Like I think this is actually a, a hidden gem of the entire run. I agree. Like I th- some of the content in here is amazing, and but it's it's really like a cole- a collection of like vignettes. Like I, sorry, I'm talking about it like it's one book. But yeah, between it's like Morrison. He's got his his opening four parter. We've set the scene. And then, and then we just have like these weird kind of like standalone stories or like two parters where they're just fun, fun like adventures, just yeah. kind of yeah, create, like Saturday morning cartoon kind of stuff. I think that that happens a, a lot with JLA though, doesn't it? You get in the whole collection of Morrison's run, you only get three, I think, collections that actually are one complete story. So that's New World Order, Rock of Ages, and World War Three. They're the only ones, and even World War Three has a bit of extra in it at the beginning. Um, yeah, good point. Yeah, but those are the only three that are, that are mostly just an entire story. Certainly, this volume, strength in numbers, um, justice for all. Those are those are collections of of multiple stories. Although even justice for all, I think, does include a four part story, um, yeah. which obviously, as New World Order, was just a four part story in one book. So it's it's weird how they decided to collect them. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it was a bit of a nightmare, if I'm honest, because I think about something like, oh, I don't know, like Justice for All. Like, if you were trying to follow a particular story and, and dividing up the collected editions that way, you just wouldn't have... You know, they'd be too small. Like, you just wouldn't have, like, a decent enough... I don't know. I, it's so arbitrary. Like, I wonder when they made those decisions. Oh, yeah, because just, feel... Justice for All, you get... In the middle of it, you get the... Is it Crisis Times 5? Um, the JLA-JSA oh, yes. team-up story, which is a four-part story which could easily have been its own book because it's a great four-part story as well. But I think mm. the story before that is like a three-parter and then maybe there's <clears throat> there's two like one-issue standalones after that. So maybe that was the only way they could collect the whole thing. And aren't they, haven't they gone back in later years and they've done like the ultimate edition, which is like a thing they're doing, where they're doing these oversized graphic novels where they've done like the entire run 
of JLA, but in like three books versus like what six or seven, whatever the true series is. Yeah, I I haven't really looked into it though to find out what's in those books because you know I've already got them all. So, <laughs> well, but I guess the weird thing about this book is this current version I'm holding. Um, I think it has a cover which was drawn exclusively for the trade paperback. Yes, and it is definitely a Howard Porter cover as well. And it's it's really good. Like I I, I kind of love. I've got a real soft spot for those covers which have kind of nothing to do with what was in the story itself. Like, um, there's one, I think it's Justice for All, where... I think it's Justice for All, where the cover of the trade paperback is... Because there's so many stories all smashed into one book, the cover is like a weird amalgam of all the stuff that's going on in completely unconnected stories. Yeah, don't you get, like, it's it's a shot of the League, but then behind that you've got, like, an image cut into three or four with, like, one beat from each each of the main yeah. stories in the trade on it. So here, for example, we have this impossible scene where we have the JLA in a kind of ruined city, which is kind of, like, in line with what happens in, a, in one story. Yeah. But then it's got the additional characters who don't appear in that story but it's it's like a mood piece you're not meant to you're not meant to give it as much analysis as i'm currently giving it yeah i think w- without giving up away too much each story in this book features one sort of extra character that the league uh, get involved with and those three characters all appear on this cover you sort of have the league on the ground and then these three characters above them um all together with the league though as you say certainly two of them wouldn't appear in the story that that this cover seems to be uh referring to within the book can uh, one thing i kind of love about this cover is suddenly we have electric blue superman yes there um which as we've established beyond a shadow of a doubt is the greatest superman design ever fight me uh you know it, it is just incredible um and also, I feel like Howard Porter's artwork it has entered like its second phase, if you will. Like, because he drew these characters for a lot, like a lot of content, like a yeah. lot of pages, and they do change. Like in in uh, New World Order, there's this weird janky jaggedness to them, which I I kind of like. But by the time of um, World War Three. They're a lot more rounded. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know what changed. I often wondered whether, like, the inking changed. And I don't think it did. But, like, I know it's like the lines got a bit thicker. So, like, characters would have chunkier hands, for example, than they would have right at the start of a series. Well, I think if you compare the cover to the trade, if you flip over to the back cover and compare it to the cover to issue five... Superman, who's the main common denominator, you can see the difference. You can in styles, mm. and certainly the Superman on the cover of the book, I feel, looks more natural and and and, a, and better than the Superman on the cover of issue five. Mm. On, on issue five, his, there's there's something off, off about his hair. It, like Porter <laughs> hasn't quite decided how he's going to draw Superman with the shorter hair because when he got his electric powers, that also somehow gave him a haircut. Um, and can we? Well, I, I guess also, as as we've kind of talked about, Electric Blue Superman was really new to the world. Yeah. Like, yeah, 
you know, I kind of look at these characters and think, oh, you know, they're 30 years old, of course, or 20 years old or whatever. Like, of course, that's how they look. But I guess, you know, Howard Porter might have been as shocked as the rest of the world when he gets that memo and like, and now you're drawing Superman this way. Well, yeah, issue five would be the first time he would have drawn him. So it would be, I guess, a bit of an experiment in terms of, of how he's going to draw this character. I will say, I think come issue seven... Porter's got him down, and we will get to that. There are some superb oh moments that Porter draws Superman in issue seven of this series. Um, but oh my yeah, God. issue five, he's still, I think, getting a handle on it. And 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 this is for me. I th- I think this is perhaps my favorite era of this series in a weird way. Like as much as I love um, World War Three and how much that story meant to me, it's like. I kind of wish it had never left this period in a way. Like there was something so I don't know, kind of like it, it is like a Saturday morning cartoon. Like I, these were my these are like the best action figures in, a, in in the world, and I kind of just wanted like the core team of seven with maybe like a couple of extras, just kind of like having wacky adventures uh, like every week or doing something impossible. And it, it it did get bigger and more cosmic, and and that had that had value and I, I loved that as well but this is like a a lost wonderful period which was kind of over too soon i feel yeah and it does it builds as well this book builds to the next one and probably the whole the high point of morrison's whole run on jla i would say is is the story in volume three rock of ages mm. um there's some super Superb moments that happen in that, and it's it's probably my favourite story arc of the whole that we're going to look at. Um, and this this there is a build up. You sort of feel that mm. with this volume uh, as you go through. Well, we've both been kind of we've both been kind of like itching, like we've we've been talking and talking and talking about how this is going to be this is the one. Like we can't wait to get get back to it because um, it's because it's weird, isn't it? Like all these weird little diversions we've done. We had JLA. We've just done JLA Wildcats. Yes, we have. Which is ostensibly, as best we can tell, set before or around the exact same time of this story. I think it... We'll get to it, but I think it must be set during this story. And then, at the same time, you have the the story we didn't look at in JLA Secret Files and Origins. Which also... Which is, yeah. Which is kind of called, it's meant to explain like, oh, this is the first moment that the JLA met Electric Blue Superman. And that literally does take place between two pages in this story. Yes, we didn't cover it because it's only about three or four pages long and it's not very good. It's, it's, a, it's a Mark Miller solo joint, but it's, it, it, Mark Miller at this point I had a lot of time for at this point mm. in his career, but that story is not well done. No, and and in case anyone thinks we're maybe we're we're crapping on Mark Miller too much, I would say that he has a really really good story coming up in the main in the main series, which I think is perhaps one of the best things he's ever written. He's also involved in, and I'm sorry, they are coming another diversion that we're going to be taking <laughs> in about five issues' time. Yes, no, that's a good. Yes, no, we mm, mm, indeed secret kind of uh, is it secret? Did we talk about it? Uh, we haven't talked about it on air yet i think i think we're going to as as we talk about this issue it's going to come up well um i guess uh, the, the, in terms of like a very quick diversion now um 
because I want I want to say it before I forget it. I I have a confused memory here, but I'm fairly certain that this is not the first copy of this book that I've owned. Oh, okay. I think so. My introduction to this series was it was like it was in my school library, a secondary school library. They had a copy of they had a few graphic novels, not many, but they had a copy of New World Order and they had a copy of American Dreams. And I remember reading both of them, being a Marvel man, being like a Spider-Man and hmm. X-Men man, because that was just like what was on t- the cartoons. And I remember kind of scoffing at it and going like, oh, JLA, this is ridiculous. It's over the top. Like, this happened and this happened. It's so it's so absurd. And like, <laughs> White Martians can do everything. And then I kind of went away, and I couldn't stop thinking about it, to the point where I had to kind of like track down copies of, of, of my own. And I remember going to an Oxica's in Gloucester, uh, where I used to live, and uh, asking, like, behind the counter, like, you know, could you track down this book for me, like, JLA American Dreams? I remember the guy having, like, no idea, (laughs) like, what it was. Like, having to really search and search and search to, to even find it. And I think what I ended up with was maybe an earlier edition of this book, because it had a different cover, Oh, okay. And, yeah, and I can remember so little about it, but I know I lent it to someone and it got destroyed. Like, I don't know what happened, but he, the person I lent it to basically said, oh, yeah, so sorry, I, the book got torn or something like that. Or maybe he just kept it, as I say it I out mean, loud. It's a maybe great book, just... so... <laughs> so I, I had to track down this second one, and I think I got this second copy when I was at university because I've still got a sticker on the back of... Uh, Forbidden Planet for five ninety nine. Oh, okay. See now, I does you does yours have the a, a brown spine as well? Yes, it's yeah. super brown. Yeah, yeah. Sort of the same color as the sky on the uh, yeah the front route folds around. See, I got my copy when I was still working at the uh, Waterstones um, while I was in uh, college doing my A levels. Because I bought, I ordered in volume one, which was four ninety nine, and I loved it so much that the next week I went in and I ordered the second volume because we were able to get hold of it, and it came then, and uh, I read it straight away and loved it. But that would have been, I believe, Strength in Numbers would have been the most recent volume. So mm. I feel like this is quite an early edition. I don't remember ever seeing and what do you, do you remember what was on the cover that earlier one you heard no no i swear i don't i'm gonna have to google it when we're done recording because i i may have dreamt it maybe this is all a lie but i i somehow vaguely remember that the version in the library and the original version i got had a completely different cover and i yeah maybe maybe i dreamt it i don't know it's it's very strange so i've just googled it uh and i cannot find another cover google image search is only bringing up this cover you know what let's just let's just assume that's a fun story (laughs) we we won't we won't fact check it at all uh so pj um where were we in the main jla continuity what had just happened well the the jla had defeated the white martians built a watchtower on the moon and they'd officially sort of set themselves up as the the Justice League and they were ready to face all bad things that were coming. 
Yeah, and and the true Justice League, like you know, the magnificent seven. Yeah, like poor poor Nuclon and Ice Maiden and Obsidian. Uh, yeah, Obsidian. You know, they've they've literally been given their marching orders. This is a bold new era. Damn right, and, and, and yeah, a bold new era. And, and so, as is the way of superheroes, the moment you build a great big tower on the moon and say that you're the Justice League. Uh, you've just got to wait for the bad guys to come to you, and they will. Well, I mean, bear in mind that we're even though it's been a couple of months for us, in terms of the comic, this is the month after issue four, after that, after they've built the Watchtower, and so the opening page of issue five, straight into the villains coming out of the woodwork. Exactly. Uh, so we open on uh, a champagne bottle uh, popping, and music playing and we have here's a true story of the justice league of america it starts with this and we have uh i hope i'm getting oh my god why am i so stupid we have um two mad scientists uh toasting each other it's mad scientist team up and i love it and their names are why is this so bad oh i can't remember we have t.o morrow mm-hmm. dr t.o morrow and you can Dr. do it, John. Ivo? Yeah. Is he just called Doctor Ivo? Does he have a pun I, in his name? I as can't. Well? I can't remember. I'll be honest. Ivo and Tio Moro. I don't know much about them beyond the characters. I know the characters they created very well, um, but beyond that, I, I can't tell you much about the the doctors themselves. Well, what do you know about them, PJ? Uh, that Ivo created Amazo or Amazo, and uh, Tio Moro created the Red Tornado. My entire life, I I thought it was uh, Amazon. Like, I, I really thought it was kind of like a play like, on Am- Amazon. Yeah, that's what I've assumed as well. I think it might be Amazo. Because he's pretty amazing. Because I think that makes more sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it was the 60s. Like, I mean, I, I think... I can't remember who, who came first, though, if it was Amazo or um, the Super Adaptoid in, in the Marvel comics. <sighs> Ooh. Hmm. They would have been around the same time. Yeah. So the JLA had a bit of a head start, didn't they? A little bit, yeah. But I, I know the Adaptoid was fairly early on in the run of Avengers. Yeah, in fact... Yeah. No, I'm not going to... I could go off on a whole rant about the Super Adaptoid. I'm going to I'm gonna rein it in. <laughs> um, but no, but we have two mag scientists, each of whom is known for creating robots. Yeah. Or androids or beings which are as good as if not better than humans and they frequently send these robots to fight the jla yes um i've always i don't understand why ivo looks like he does i don't know what's going on there because the only thing i know about professor ivo is he drinks uh an immortality yeah and that makes him look like that yeah, it has it has a side effect of mutating okay. him. Okay. So Ivo looks like a kind of lizard monster kind of like a kind of I don't know, he just looks like a like a cave troll kind of. He looks I think if if you combined and if we mixed universes, if you combined Deadpool and Bizarro, you'd get Ivo. Yeah, that seems fair. That seems fair. And he's wearing like a big kind of like surgical yeah. smock kind of thing. Yeah. And 
At the other side, at the other side of the equation, we have uh, <laughs> Doctor uh, T. O. Morrow, who I believe his gimmick is. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Isn't it something like his future self came back and get? It's something like he steals technology from the. He, he learnt something in the, from the future. I to make stuff in the present. I don't know. This is a blind a blind spot for me. I'm afraid. Right. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So, what's more important is they're two mag scientists, and uh, Tio Morrow is saying his own name on this page. Well, <laughs> he says two tomorrow. Yeah, it's a damn good toast. Um, <laughs> and as they as they uh, kind of clink their glasses together, we turn the page and we see uh, a woman kind of standing there, wearing uh, a, a bizarre. I guess, kind of superhero costume, frankly. Yeah, it's sort of green and gold. Uh, she's got a, a long green cape. Um, and then it, it it's a pretty 90s costume um, with all the trimmings. <laughs> that came with that decade. Um, another green character. I think um, DC loves characters with green in their skin or, or uniform. Yeah. Um, and and it's she's got a, a little earring which is has a TW logo on it, and just above her is the title of the story, "Woman of Tomorrow," with that lovely three D nineties computer graphic effect we've come to know and love over the last few issues. I feel they're already getting ashamed of it. <laughs> like they had a they had a slick new uh, kind of word art device or program on their computer, and now they're like, ooh. Like we were too busy thinking if we could, we forgot to ask if we should. Yeah. Like it's it's almost unreadable. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, um, woman of tomorrow is the name of the name of the issue, and uh, they get to say tomorrow again. Yeah. You know? Well, I feel that's uh, on the previous page. Tio Morrow said to tomorrow, and on this page, the speech bubble is clearly Ivo's because he's got one of those fun nineties, fun shaped, jagged writing speech bubbles. So God love it. He's saying tomorrow there. And then you get the credits. Uh, Grant Morrison, writer. Howard Porter, penciler. John Dell, inker. Pat Garrahy, colorist. Ken Lopez, letterer. Heroic Age, who did the computer seps. <laughs> That's literally what they're credited for, the computer seps. And uh, edited by Ruben Diaz. And we also get the uh, roll call going down the side of the page. And tellingly, Superman has been bumped down right to the bottom. Uh, because he is all crackly and electric and blue. Yeah, I think it's sort of a way to introduce the new Superman, even though he's on the cover to this issue. Um, he's also end of the roll call, so you can go through. There's the classic league. Wait, Superman's got a blue face. What's going on here? Um, can I say, one thing I really, I really love already about these two characters is I, I think even though... They are undoubtedly villains. There's something oddly compelling about them and their weird little relationship they have here. Yeah, I think the the, the issue as a whole is going to play on that in a very fun, nice way. It's it's good. I just love right off the bat because I've got this. As I've said many a time, I have this weird little theory that this series is actually about being a working professional yeah. and having good good relationships in the workplace because a new league has formed and. These two, quote unquote, mad scientists, are are plot plotting something against the JLA, just because that's what you do. Like, yeah, if you're a yeah, if you're a mad scientist and there's a new JLA, well, of course you're going to steal a load of money and then plan a, a wacky 
like scheme. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I quite like that the the first villains the league face after their effect let's say the Marsh the White Martians were their baptism of fire as as they were sort of still gestating as the Justice League, still getting used to being that. Now they are the League. They're officially they've they've been through Midsummer's Nightmare, they've they've fought Starro, they've done the White Martians, then they're the League. They're formed, they're here. And the first people they face are the two mad scientists. I I think it's great. It's just a nice little yeah. thing. Uh, it's it's kind of like vaguely self-aware as well, which I, I kind of like about it. Yeah. Like I like how there's clearly a history between these characters, even like T.O. Morrow and Ivo. It's like they've known each other a long time. These, I just love that very subtle history that we have here. It's a, it's a way of referencing continuity without being like married to it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a small little thing, but I do I do love it. So after the roll call, the scene changes and um, we're by a grave and there's a headstone and the grave is for Rex Mason, Metamorpho. PJ, I, I feel kind of bad about all the all the jokes we made, uh, particularly you, your very hateful comments uh, <laughs> towards this uh, earlier iteration of the League. Because... Hey, through all of that, I was very respectful of Metamorpho. <laughs> Nuclon can do one, but I was very respectful of Metamorpho. <laughs> It's like, sweet lord, don't take Metamorpho, take Nuclon. <laughs> take Nuclon instead. Um, but yeah, and they've we're at like a kind of graveyard for superheroes. Yeah, so um, it's it's clearly some kind of memorial garden because you have statues of fallen heroes. So I'm going to see if I can get all of these. Starting from the left, you get Oliver Queen, Green Arrow, the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, then it's Ice, Dr. Yes. Midnight. I, no, that's the original Hour Man. I apologise. That's the original Hour Man. There's a little hourglass around his neck. I believe yeah. then it's Atom Smasher. Oh, it might. Yes. yes I, think, I, I think he was dead at this point, and that's why Nuclon existed. He's got that weird, like, um, belt thing. Yeah. I, think that, I think, yeah. Yeah, and then foreground Metamorpho, then Dr. Midnight. That's definitely Dr. Midnight. The Flash, Barry Allen, and just to his right, Johnny Quick. Oh, I ha- I'd always wondered who that that final one was. Yeah, that, that is Johnny Quick. Yeah, good, good work, PJ. He'd I think only died fairly recently in the pages of the Flash. Um, during I believe during the Chain Lightning storyline that introduced Savitar. I'm so glad you're here, PJ. Like I, I I'm I'm offended you can't remember all the names of the uh, the Hyper Clan, but you know, bravo for naming all these uh, all these statues. <laughs> I remember the important details. But we have um, a uh, a memorial service for Metamorpho, and sadly, not many people have turned up. It's literally just the 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 reverend who's reading the the memorial service, someone waiting to fill in the grave. I don't know who the guy is holding the baby. I think I, I'm, I know Metamorpho had a child, so that's clearly his baby. But I don't I, know who the guy is holding the baby. Yeah. Oh, sorry to all the Metamorpho fans out there, but I'm vaguely aware that that was a supporting character from Metamorpho's origin, but I do not know anything more about that. But I do say bravo to Grant Morrison for incorporating them and including them in this scene, because clearly they would be there. Uh, but then, yeah, the only other person there is Superman. And Actually, when you think about it, it's kind of sad that the rest of the League didn't turn up. I do like the idea... That it sort of implies that Superman does make time to go to the funeral of every single superhero that that passes on. Superman is the presence. He's always there. And also, 
And also, they they did reference when when Metamorpho was injured. They said that he was inert. Yes, like it's like doctors didn't really have a word for him because he wasn't really like biological in a classical sense. So maybe there's an attitude among even his colleagues that like he he might not actually be dead and he might he might pop back yeah. soon. And it's again a weird little moment of self awareness because Superman says. It's uh, it's a little sad. Like there were so many people at my funeral. The, it, how does Superman know? Did he when he came back? Did he like go? Did you get my funeral on video? I'd quite like to, because that seems weird to me. But he is a reporter. Like true, he would have he would have seen a lot of headlines probably around the Daily Planet offices. Like you know, I think it would have been quite hard to avoid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also. I like that he refers to Metamorpho by his his real name and just says "poor Rex." Well, he's it's it's Superman. He's he's the guy. He he's always considerate and kind. That is Superman. And the the vicar basically says, "Well, you know, the sad fact is, normal people aren't very interested in metahuman funerals because everyone knows you come back all the time. Like heaven knows how many times I've buried the immortal man." That's a lovely little joke. So niche, so lovely. I love it. <laughs> I'm sure Metamorpho won't stay down for long. God rest his soul. And you know what? He's right. I think it's within 50 issues of JLA, Metamorpho's back, so... Oh, God, he is. It's, it, it, yeah. he, it is in JLA he comes back after Morrison leaves, isn't it? So, I think... There was a second Metamorpho for a while. Yeah, they did like, that a lot, like, um, around the same was, time as they brought in Ryan Choi as the Atom and um, uh, Jaime... That? What's his surname? The new Blue Beetle who took over... Oh, no, I can't. I can't, I can't remember, remember but I know. Name. I know who you mean. Wasn't the second Metamorpho running around with the Outsiders for a while? Yeah, wasn't it? Wasn't it drawn by like Terry Dodson? I think so. Like... But I've got a feeling the second Metamorpho might have been introduced after Rex comes back. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's more. Uh, join us next week for all your Metamorpho news and updates. Yeah. Uh, let's just change the name. The podcast is now the Metamorpho Cast. And... <laughs> Um, the metamorph. No, I can't think of a fun, a fun pun there. Um, so to save me from that terrible uh, piece of wordplay, we do have an awesome picture. I, I think it's awesome. Of oh, I agree. Electric- I agree. Superman rocketing to the Wayne Manor. Um, and for possibly one of my absolutely favourite Batman Superman interactions ever. <laughs> it's great. It is great. It is, it is amazing. Um. So Superman just basically walks into the Batcave. Like, I I love how he doesn't... Ha- you know, he just, it's like he's got the key. They're just going to let him... He just lets himself in. And he goes, I hope you don't mind me using your teleporter, Bruce. You were closest. And Batman doesn't turn to look because he's busy, but just goes, you could have knocked. Interesting outfit. So this is the first time Batman has seen Electric Blue Superman. And it's delightful. It is. Like... I love it so much. But that also means that this moment is definitely before JLA Wildcats. Yes, maybe we can work out the exact page where it happens, PJ. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so uh, Electric Blue Superman just casually walks into the Batcave. Robin is fixing the engine on the Batmobile. And I love that Superman and Robin have a, have a little moment here. It's, it's just a nice cameo from, from the Boy Wonder. And with, with, Superman just asks him how he is. And it's it's just I lovely. Love it. I love it so much. Like I he 
He's like the most popular person in the world of Superman. Everyone wants a piece of him. And yet, I love how he just gives gives everyone like his time. And like, treats treat them as equals as well. He's so charming. And so charming. We should mention this is Tim Drake, the best Robin. Yes, agreed. There is um, no better Robin than Tim Drake, and I will fight anyone on that. Yeah, no, no, he'll do it, people. Don't. He's, you know, I've seen his weaponry. He's, he's itching for a chance. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to fight. I'll lose. But Tim Drake's the best. And he's like, uh, so he goes, uh, "Hello, hello, Robin. How, how are things?" And uh, Tim's like, "Oh, you know, pretty good. Um, if you need any help with a teleporter, just yell." Like, I love how chill everyone is. Yeah. Like, it's great. It's adorable. Um, so Superman just picks up the teleporter and, because presumably it wasn't plugged in, and just kind of like carries it over to the nearest socket well, you, i guess you do see it in the previous panel behind robin with like a, a piece of cloth quite dirty cloth draped over it so it is that thing of batman still a reluctant member of the league i think and as he, as he points out because he's chatting to um wonder woman on the big screen and he basically says look you know i've got my own problems here to deal with in gotham um I promised the League I'd be prepared to function in an advisory capacity. That's what I'm doing now. Can we just go back, though? Because we have to mention exactly what problem Batman is dealing with oh, in Gotham. Sure. Because he's, he says, The Mad Hatter's looking glass people are running amok on Paris Island. That is all we ever get about that. And I just love it as a little piece of dialogue Morrison drops in where you just go, yeah, that's fair. I completely but buy also, that. Yeah, but also, like, apparently... It's, that problem is enough in hand where Tim Drake can just be working on the Batmobile. Like they're, they're clearly they're on it. Yeah. Um, and also I was thinking about this earlier. Like, I feel Batman and Wolverine have a similar problem, where they're almost too cool, and I feel they both fulfill like a similar niche where they're kind of like they're the badass on the team and i feel different creative teams have got kind of kind of like addicted to them and they want them so much to be a team player like i think like wolverine has ended up being like the head of like the school you know at times and and batman has ended up being very 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 central to the league but for me this is this is a Batman relationship with the League, which I I really kind of get. Like, where he's he's so reluctant to be a team player, but he's there when they need him. Yeah, I think Morrison knows how to use Batman in the JLA effectively. Um, he doesn't appear that much in this issue. I, uh, we will, we'll see him a couple of times, but not in the thick of it with the rest of the League. Um, he's, he's there when they need him. Mm. Um, and... I think I think there is a difference. I think like Wolverine, I think has ended up as the character in the Marvel universe who's been on the most teams of anybody. Oh, it's absurd. Um, yeah. Whereas Batman, I believe, really has only been the JLA and the Outsiders. I can't think of any other teams he's actually joined in the DCU. I think it's it's a case of like it's restraint, isn't it? Yeah. I think I think I think you know I, I imagine like you know when you get the chance to write these characters, it's very easy to just kind of like go overboard because you're finally getting the keys to yes. your dag's convertible or something yeah like, it's like oh wow yeah this is the big show i mean it's a, it, yeah it's a definite problem with wolverine that that people have that writers run into because they just want to use him and they can very easily because you've got the healing factor so you can just throw him at something and then he gets zapped and he's like oh i'm fine now 
But Batman doesn't have that, so you do have to be careful with how you use him and where you throw him before you start stretching incredulity, really. Well, and I think the thing I like about this particular cameo as well is that it acknowledges the the power difference. Like, the whole point is that Batman is a man. Like, he's he's a man with amazing resources and amazing physical fitness, of course. But, like, the thing they're dealing with, which we're going to get to, it really wouldn't suit Batman's skill set at all. So rather than going for a really contrived reason to show how Superman or how Batman could be up there trading punches with Superman, you like you know because you want it, you want him to be big and powerful. We're instead playing to his strengths here, where he's using his intelligence. Yeah, like we're seeing his smarts at work, and that's that's really you get into that in this next panel as well, where you you cut to the JLA watchtower where you've got Wonder Woman and uh, Jean on sort of monitor duty and on the screens before Jean you can see this there's this big orb of crackling with energy that seems to be causing some problems in the ocean and Aquaman's on one of the screens just jumping out of a wave I think Um, but Wonder Woman says to Batman that they're downloading their data on this if creature so this orb is something called if and that's about all we get now it's just it's creating electromagnetic havoc whenever it appears moving east and winking out of existence and she says to batman i know you're on another case and batman just goes i'll work on both it's fine and i don't want to i don't want to make this out to be like a work of genius storytelling like i i i, I but i do it doesn't insult the reader's inte- intelligence no. like i i love it because it's just like they are the jla they deal with threats from beyond human understanding, this is just their week. And we're just like, oh, hey, yes, we've got this big orb. It's just moving around and destroying things and then disappearing. And it's like, that's all you need. That's brilliant. We don't need to know where it came from. We don't need to see it appear. We can just trust that this is the JLA doing their job. I love it. And I love that it's just called If. That's just... That's great. It's such a Morrison touch, this this weird thing, and it's just called If. And it, there's, it's it's so nebulous, you don't know anything about it. It's just this weird, unknown threat. And yeah, it's a brilliant little little moment. Well, we transition to uh, Kyle and Wally playing uh, kind of like Rock'em Sock'em robots. The, the, using The advanced version. The advanced version, using a device made from Kyle's ring. And uh, they're just chatting. And and Kyle's like, all I'm saying is I preferred him with the short hair. So he's clearly saying he doesn't like Superman's mullet. Well, I mean, we've given the mullet a bit of shit. Um, but uh, like all good things, it was it was too beautiful for this world. It was gone too soon. And, and Wally's like, uh, someone's coming through on the teleporter. Maybe we should be doing some work here. And it's just a nice little interaction because they're starting, their relationship is starting to war- warm. Yeah. Because... Kyle's basically like, yeah, geez, I hope it's not Batman. I mean, yeah, he's cool and everything, but he's way too scary for me. Like, don't you think when he walks into a room, it's like someone died? <laughs> Which is brilliant. And Wally then just says, yeah, you should get him to tell you his Joker stories. And and again, just all these lovely little moments. Uh, Superman just walks into the room out of the teleporter and it's like, so uh, you thought I needed a haircut, Kyle? Did I go too far? You see, Superman can have a sense of humour. This yeah. is allowed. And yeah. it's the fact that he, he heard their conversation before he arrived on the Watchtower as well. That's that, I, I, I don't understand his new powers fully, but I'm presuming through the energy of the beam he heard. I, who knows? I guess so. But um, it's also the acknowledgement that 
Kyle and Wally have here that Batman is scary. Batman is a normal guy. His villains in Gotham, you wouldn't have thought would be a problem for people with the powers of Superman, Green Lantern and the Flash. But they acknowledge here that the Joker is terrifying. Mm. They they find the Joker to be one of the, the most terrifying beings on the planet. And Joker's effectively just a normal dude who squirts acid out of a flower on his lapel. And can, and can I... Uh... And can we can we shine some light on how in the space of two pages we've had uh setup of the threat, we've had some lovely characterization. Like it's it's so it's such lean storytelling. I'm kind of like jealous of these two pages yeah. of how how much is told in such a short space of time. So it's between this page and the next page that the Mark Miller story where Superman introduces himself to the Justice League happens. And it's one of the reasons that story does not work for me at all is because obviously Secret Files and Origins 1 came out and was written after this issue. Mm. In that story, there's an arrogance to Superman that I do not like. Mm. Um, he, he really comes across as, hey, look at all the stuff I can do because I'm so cool. And it's not Superman. And I feel like a guy who had just come from a funeral to be acting that way, it, it grates on me. I don't like it. So I pretend that story doesn't exist. Which is why we didn't cover it. Um, but yeah, so we, um, ignoring that, that didn't happen, um, we are now in the kind of meeting room and the JLA have a, have a, have a massive branded table, which, I mean, you gotta, really. Great big round table. And... Um, yeah, they're having a meeting, and you know, I I dream of a day where I might have my own personalized chair <laughs> with my my logo carved into it. Like that might be the greatest honor I could imagine. Well, uh, what we need to do is is get some other uh, indie comics creators and 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 have a table, and then our logos on the chair. Logos, PJ. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. You've got branding. It's all about branding. Doesn't <laughs> you, you don't have to be good? You just have to be well branded. <laughs> Oh, that's carried me this far. Um, so uh, Superman goes, as you know, accusations of elitism have been levelled against the League, probably because you've kicked out four people <laughs> without much discussion. And one of them uh, died. And one of them died. Um, but yeah, they're going to have a recruitment drive to show that they're willing to take on some new blood. Uh, Jean does point out that he's got reservations because their current roaster is still learning to function as a team, which is fair. Yeah, no, it's true, and I like how John is very team focused. Like he, this is his family, really. Like he, he's always he always has a kind of uh, wiser, nurturing kind of role. Well, John's the team guy. We've talked about it before that the big seven in the JLA. John is there not as the a big name solo hero. He's there as. Mr. Justice League. He's the one who's been part of every incarnation of the League up to this point. And in terms of JLA, you don't... Who's been there, who's who's been part of the League and been there, done that with, with other members, you don't get better than Jean. He's the one. Mm. And, yeah, of course, so... I mean, And, and Superman, which I, I think is, again, nice little character moment, always values Jean's counsel. Like, you know, everything he says makes kind of sense. So... He goes, agreed, yeah. And so the sooner we begin, you know, recruiting people, the sooner we can develop as a team. So he goes, teleport the nominees. And then we get like a little kind of 
just a funky little image of all these random superheroes who are trying out for the league. And um, I think it's it's established later on that these people have all been nominated by other current members of the league. But it's a clearly not all of them actually looking at the group because it is a weird little gathering. So. Not all of them are going to get a moment. Um, we're going to see some of them interviewed, but not all of them. So you have Artemis uh, from Wonder Woman's supporting cast. Yeah, she was briefly a replacement Wonder Woman, yes. wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, Damage, who I believe is with the Teen Titans. He is part of the Atom Smasher Nuclon legacy. Okay. Wasn't familiar with him. Uh, Green Arrow. I believe he's... I, I think, sorry, I think he's the brother of Nuclon. Okay. I think. Oh, yeah. God, imagine if he had made the team. <laughs> um, yeah, so you have uh, Green Arrow, Connor Hawk, obviously the son of Oliver Queen. Um, Hitman, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, Warrior, Guy Gardner, who I think, you know, this is the only bit of the issue Guy Gardner appears in, and that is a damn shame. <laughs> Uh, Steel and Supergirl, who are presumably Superman's nominations. Um, and just because this is, again, the only moment we'll see Supergirl in this issue. Uh, I know Morrison wanted her to be in the book when Superman became an energy being, just so he could have the classic S on the team. Really? Yeah, he couldn't find a way to make her naturally fit. That's why she didn't join. But he was he was sad that with Superman's costume change, you didn't have the classic logo anymore in the Justice League and so he he considered putting Supergirl in just to fulfill that that is that is fascinating um, I had no idea also that would have been a really interesting yeah would, like, having a second female character on the team at well, this point would have been kind of stunning also the fact that it's not um, the uh, Kara Zor-El Supergirl because she didn't exist at this point uh, this no. this is the um, the nineties Supergirl, which was Matrix or May, oh the weird shape shifting. I've got to say, PJ, like the Supergirl mythology is a is so convoluted. Like it's so I, I find it so hard to keep track of. It, it is, but I have a real soft spot for this version of the character um, from the her appearances in the whole Death of Superman storyline. She took over Action Comics for a bit during that. Um, but also her own solo series in the 90s, um, I, which I think was by Peter David and Gary Frank, uh, that I really enjoyed. It was a really oh. good series. Is that when she ended up with like fiery wings? She, yeah, because she, she also turned out to be an angel. Uh, don't we? <laughs> okay, comics, everybody. Look it up. <laughs> uh, and then you also have Plastic Man and Aztec. Mm. Who do you think nominated Plastic Man at this point? Uh, do you know what? Batman. Hmm, interesting. I reckon. Is it, is it kind of like Batman's had his eye on him for a while? I think so. I think so. Uh, but we cut to someone who isn't in this panel, who's the first person we see to audition, and that is Max Mercury. And I bloody love Max Mercury. Do you do you do you like actually know much about him at all? So I think he was one of those golden age characters that DC acquired when they bought up a load of other publishers um, mm. before Crisis, and then obviously during Crisis he got folded in to main DC continuity. I don't think they did much with him until uh, Impulse came along and then they had a reason to use him where Flash sort of, because Max Mercury is like the elder statesman of speedsters at this point because he is the Zen master of speed, I believe is his description. Oh, cool. Um, Because he's the most experienced with super speed in the DCU, um, Wally sends Impulse to live with him to be taught how to use his super speed uh, effectively 
under the tutorship of Max Mercury, which is how I know Max, because I loved that Impulse book in the 90s, and um, is why I'm a big Max Mercury fan. And he is, even just for like the three panels he's in here, he is quite charming. Because he's basically like, you know, I I don't really want this job. I'm, I'm just here because Wally asked me. Um, Impulse is approaching puberty, so as you can imagine, like... I've got my hands full. Yeah, Bart Allen is <laughs> <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> I love Bart Allen so much, but yeah, he is a lot. Uh, but I love how he goes. You know, if there's an emergency, Wally's got my phone and fax numbers. So fax, number. you know, just give me a buzz. <laughs> and then he's off. He's gone. And then uh, next up is is damage. Uh, I'm damage. Maybe you've heard about me. Sorry about the ceiling and the landing pad. And the other thing, and John's just like next. <laughs> and this is like the the comedy the comedy rapid fire recruitment thing where, or you know, you know that scene. It, it's in a lot of things. It's a, it's a comedy staple where each new each candidate is more uh, or is less appropriate than the last. Yes. And we have uh, Tommy Monahan, Monaghan, Monaghan, Monaghan. The G is silent. Um. And literally, all I know about this character is that he had a, he had his own series, and what is described in these panels, where he basically says, "I've got X-ray vision and telepathy, and I kill super people for money." So, Hitman was a Garth Ennis book, of course it was, uh, set in the mainstream DC universe, and it did show Garth Ennis's absolute contempt for the superhero genre. Which how he kept ending up writing it, I, I will never understand, but it's beautiful when he does. Um, like his Punisher run for Marvel, where Wolverine was an idiot, as was Spider-Man. Maybe a little of respect for Daredevil, but that's about it. With the DC characters, I feel like Ennis, the only one he had any respect for was Superman. And there was a JLA Hitman miniseries where Superman was the only character Ennis treated well. Everyone mm. else just Hitman ridiculed. Um and it's a fun book, actually. It is it is I'm sure it I'm sure it is. Like but it is like worlds colliding. It really like, is. Uh, as evidenced by the fact that um, uh, Jean just goes, uh, next, and please, no smoking. Yeah, and as Hitman leaves, he whispers to Aztec, don't mention money, they don't like it. And then a panel that I do not think has aged well. No, no. Um, well, we we can't ignore it. No. But, um, uh, as Tommy is walking out with, a, frankly, a... A pretty lecherous look on his face. He goes, Hey, I only came along to check out Wonder Woman with my x-ray vision. Now I can die happy. And it's just that treating... Yes, Wonder Woman is supposed to be beautiful. Yes, she's she's the epitome. She was created out of clay, and, given life by the gods. Yes, she's beautiful. And I, and I guess Tommy is meant to be a sleazeball. Yes, but just the idea of having a character only treating Wonder Woman as a sex object, it's just not not good. No, and it's one of those things where, like, it's one of those things where, like, academically, I can kind of justify the panel on, like, every level. Where I go, like, oh, okay, well, you know, I get it. Wonder Woman is beautiful. Tommy is a dick. You know, like, he's acting true to his nature, and I don't think we, as the audience, are meant to like him. But we probably do get a chuckle out of it. And I'm kind of like, well, while I can kind of justify the joke on that level, I'm not sure I would have written it myself. 
Like, I think I would have been a bit uncomfortable. I wonder if Morrison would these days either, to be honest. I, you know, it almost feels like something that's implicit. If you, you don't need to say it. You know, yeah. Monaghan's up there. He's got X-ray vision. You can leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay, so moving on. Anyway, I'm sure he, he goes back to killing superheroes or whatever. Um, we, um, yeah, we... Um, we we have the the team kind of comparing notes and green arrow is like i thought there were a few possibilities i was pretty impressed by green arrow and aztec no it's green lantern that says that green arrow's not here now what did i say i'm apolo- you yeah, said I green arrow i'm sorry kyle is basically saying hey i liked the guys i nominated which uh, wally calls him out on so um kyle cuz aztec we we're going to touch on it here now aztec had only recently been introduced he was a brand new character uh, created by Grant Morrison and Mark Miller, uh, mm. who had his own book that I believe would have started the same month as JLA, but I think like a, a week or two before. So issue five of his book had just been out when this issue right. was released. Green Lantern guest starred in issue two. Uh, Kyle, so right off the bat. Kyle had like already he- appeared in Aztec, and I think Batman would appear in issue six or seven, I think it was, a two-part Joker story where Batman would turn up for the second part. It's yeah, I guess it really was a bold new era for DC Comics. It it, it just kind of like you've got these new creators. You're quite pr- you're quite proud of them. You know, you're doing these dynamic stories, and of course, you create a new character or two. And yeah, it kind of makes sense that he would have at least at this point been considered for membership on the JLA. Yeah, he's he's met one of the JLA, and Morrison's writing both books. So, <laughs> mm. um, I I do have to say like. Just because, like the Tommy uh, Monaghan thing yeah. was kind of awkward, I, I honestly, I've never liked this beat. Now, I've never liked it. No, where Wonder Woman goes, I'd like to have seen more women, and Kyle goes, I'll second that. But hey, hey. but the mm. look on his face is no. Yeah, like I get that he's young and a bit of an idiot, but like I never really thought that Kyle was insensitive. This, like this is too much of. The thing that everyone sort of looks back on this decade for with '90s comics, it was a boys' club. Yeah, and and I think probably the only prominent woman right creating comics at this point was Gail Simone, and even then she was fairly new. I think she was on, probably only on Deadpool at this point for Marvel. Mm. Um, so yeah, and and it shows sometimes, and it's not a good look. Yeah, and I hope um, I hope it doesn't seem like we're kind of ru- rushing over these because we're trying to brush it under the carpet. It's like no, in the space of two pages, we've had two fairly like dated, pretty badly dated kind of sexist, sexist moments, yeah, ju- sexist moments. And if we're moving on quickly, it's simply because I don't want to dignify them with more time. Really, yeah. like they're kind of just they're dated, they're sexist. And I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's a shame that they're in what is a near-perfect issue otherwise. Yeah. I would say. Um, Luckily, we're interrupted yeah. by an explosion. Yeah. So the uh, ceiling is collapsing, I believe, because of damage. And uh, just as Kyle goes to catch the debris, we have, like, his 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 green force field kind of just creeping up his arm. Um, all the falling bricks and stuff just kind of are floating in midair. And I love the way on these couple of panels you do Wonder Woman is clearly reacting to it. You've got this moment of what's ha- what is that and it's it's all happening so quickly 
that she hasn't had time to to move properly and superman's got his arms raised as well um and then in walks the woman we saw standing in front of morrow and ivo earlier she introduces herself as tomorrow woman and i mean talk about acing the audition um you know clearly she's the most the most perfect fit we've we've seen all day um and we we instantly move into quite a rapid fire uh kind of montage of her kind of joining the justice league and a a voiceover kind of picks in and says uh, so now what it's been a week and we we see superman shaking her hand and saying well you know congratulations you you passed with flying colors you know you're our you're our newest member welcome to the justice league tomorrow woman so this moment where they say it's been a week, I feel like it's in that week is where the Wildcats crossover happens. You know what? I think it has to be. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right because it's the only space where it could possibly have, have been. Yeah, and I know Tomorrow Woman doesn't appear in that uh, in that one shot, but neither do Jean or Aquaman. So, you know, it's entirely probable that that's just that. One mission was just the five members of the League. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, Ac- and Aquaman isn't in this issue at all. So. Well, he has that one moment on the screen when uh, Jean and uh, Wonder Woman are looking at them on monitor duty earlier on. I think that's his only appearance. Yeah, I mean that that'll keep that'll keep the Aquaman fans happy. The Aquaman oh, and he's fans, in and he's yeah. in the roll call. Uh, yes, you're right. No, we have a thumbnail of his head, so <laughs> yeah, he's fine. Um, but yeah, so over the course of this week, we see the Justice League battling. If yeah, like in many different locations and again we have kyle and wally working together like kyle's built some impossible gun which is powered by a treadmill which wally's running on nice little moment and um we learn a bit more like uh jean is trying to scan the thing and basically says well look it's it's mindless like i think it was a computer but it's far too complex for any current machinery and um it's programmed to destroy all it does is move east destroy that's all it can do yeah and in this you also get voiceover from morrow and ivo um saying about how one of them's being impatient and the other one's say it's not clear who's which um caption box because they don't use ivo's font anywhere mm. uh, but one of them says you know tomorrow woman is gaining their trust she's becoming one of them indispensable more and more as each day passes and you get a nice panel of uh Tomorrow Woman and, and Green Lantern just having a drink while I pre- I think there's Wild Flash and uh, and Jean clean up the mess from an if attack. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess this is I, I I'm not trained to know how to describe this, but I guess this is meant to be would this be dramatic irony? Where like the audience knows what the characters don't. Like yeah. we know that Tomorrow Woman is an is a is a is a plant, she is infiltrating the league. Uh, but from her perspective and from a league's perspective, she thinks or you know says that she's a mutant. She was born with a special brain, so she has telekinetic powers, basically. Uh, she thinks she's the first of a new species born ahead of her time. So she's an X-Men. She's, she, she's an X-Men. We, we done got an X-Men here. <laughs> um, and yeah, we basically, you know, she says, you know, she's basically expressing her frustrations like, you know, like every every day a new city is attacked by if. And... Yeah, we've, we've cut to a new battle where Jean's fo- shooting at if with his Martian vision and Superman and Tomorrow Woman both firing energy at it. 
And yeah, the basis and Superman's like, well, look, you know, you you haven't taken a break. You've been with us every day fighting this thing, you know, and we just want to let you know we appreciate it. So presumably she was fighting if while the other five were having a Wildcats crossover. Yes, exactly. You know, the the other the other five were having a nice little jaunt. uh, Yeah, Tomorrow Woman, John and Aquaman were fighting if. Good. I'm glad I'm glad Aquaman had something to do. That's really what we've sorted it out. Um. Uh, yeah so yeah okay so between these two panels let's say that's where it that's where it fit yeah um and as superman and tomorrow woman are talking we transition to tio morrow and ivo in their lair let's face it it's a lair um watching literally through her eyes on a screen like they literally have cameras in her eyes to watch this conversation and yeah superman's like you know yeah we appreciate your help and and she and it's just like a nice little interaction where she's like, you know, you're trying to flatter me. And he goes, No, I mean it. I'll really flatter you if you figure out how how a way to defeat if. Just you know, they're just being nice to each other. Yeah. And then we get a nice a nice little moment between Superman and, and Tomorrow Woman where he's he's he says he's glad that if's clearly disappeared again, so he says he's glad it's over. And he he'd like he'd love to just walk around on the ground for a bit. Um, but then he says, uh, you haven't told us about your private life. And Tomorrow Woman says, this is my life. I really like being in the Justice League. I really want to make things right. And then she gives Superman a little peck on the cheek, which seems to take him by surprise. And yeah, she flies off into the sunset and says, and like the rest of you, my private life's just somewhere I go to be human. And then jarring transition to uh, an abandoned warehouse where Wonder, uh, sorry, Tomorrow Woman with kind of like red eyes opens the door to the warehouse and walks in and, you know, Tomorrow, T.O. Morrow presses up. Can I just call him Tomorrow? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> uh, his name is Thomas something. Thomas Oliver Morrow, I think. Yeah. It might be Oscar, I can't remember. Both yeah, the I'm only two call- man's names that begin with an O, so. I'm just going to call him uh, uh, Tomorrow and he goes... And he he brings out a remote, like literally like a, a TV remote. Well, can, can we just point out that before that, he and I have been arguing over who's better, Amazon or Red Tornado? <laughs> Which is a lovely little moment. Because, uh, yeah, Ivo's basically going like, you know, look, mine was a much better robot. Uh, nothing you've ever made was anywhere near as sophisticated with, uh, as, as, as that. I, I agree with Ivo. Don't get me wrong, I'm a, I love Red Tornado, but Amazon's better. Yeah, but I think I think tomorrow makes a pretty compelling case later on. Yes. Um, but yeah, I guess the jarring thing here is is we know that Tomorrow Woman is a robot. Like, there's no secret about that. But we've seen her being so human, like so kind of like you know, kind of like committed to the league, and even in the span of a just a couple of pages, I I think she's quite endearing. And so it is a shock again to see her now acting like a kind of lifeless zombie, really. Uh, yeah, those those two pages do a great job of selling the passage of time that the fact the whole week has passed and the fact that she is... They do a really good job of showing her bonding with the League and, and, and how, how quickly they grow to trust her and, and how much a part of the team she's become in that short space of time. Mm. And And now, sadly, she's she's reduced to this mindless being and these two guys are, are just kind of like running like tasks on her and i mean tomorrow has a nice little thing where he says it's so good to cross swords with the new justice league the ones that are actually worth killing yeah not like nuclon <laughs> poor nuclon i hope he's all right i hope he doesn't hope have he... any fans because if they listen to this we're for it 
I hope he's having Z-Lisk adventures somewhere right now. I, I could not tell you what happened to him after those JLA appearances. Um, I do like that Ivo is like, um, look at her. You see, you could look at her. He goes, you could never have given her skin temperature, a pulse, perspiration. She's a work of art. And tomorrow goes, I've made her brain. You know, that's the true work of art. That brain should be hanging in the Louvre. But he also says false memories and dreams, fully, fully spelling out for us that she doesn't know she's an android under their control. And she doesn't know that there's apparently an electromagnetic pulse weapon embedded in her heart, which is their true plan to kill the Justice League. Like, she will gain their trust, and when they're all vulnerable, the bomb will detonate, and it will essentially kill all the Justice League's brains. It will just wipe their brains. Yeah. And we also get a very telling little moment where Ivo goes, say goodbye to truth, justice, and freedom, and tomorrow goes... Freedom, the word isn't even present in her vocabulary. I should know. I left it out. And Ivo just says, you're weird, Moro. And he's right. But at that, you, you've got this, they've attached something to the back of Tomorrow Woman's neck, a little gold bar, which is giving off a green light in, in that first panel. And then when Moro says freedom, the word isn't even in her vocabulary. The light turns red and a weird look crosses Tomorrow Woman's face. I've never entirely understood the significance of quite what was happening there. I, I always assumed she was just getting like a kind of factory reset kind of thing. Like they brought her in every day and then kind of like yeah. reprogrammed her. I feel like that moment is the first time she's hearing the word freedom and she's going, what? Showing that, yeah, he didn't program it in. Mm. But then, sadly, from that moment, we we transition right back into the real world or you know the jla's next mission and they're battling if again and it's superman green lantern tomorrow woman jean jongs and wonder woman and i love i like this page how if is a computer graphic again he's got that sort of swirling energy almost magic eye picture type look to it the big sphere while then normal porter drawn cars are sort of being sucked into it and energy crackling out of it have you um have you watched much um Evangelion, PJ? Uh all of it. Twice. Oh, okay. Oh good. Okay, I wasn't okay, sorry. This is clearly why we're doing a podcast together, <laughs> because we are very much on the same page. Um This is very Evangelion. Yes. It like is. giant <laughs> geometric shapes, basically, just attacking cities. It's it's surreal. I really love it actually. I love that it's just a giant ball crackling with energy. Yeah. Um, and we finally get, while while Superman orders the League to help the people in the cars, we finally find out what if is, because Batman's been doing his research, uh, and he says, implicate field, that's what IF stands for, it's advanced quantum technology from the 32nd century, one of several weapons confiscated from the Lord of Time's arsenal by the US military. It has several preset war modes generated by the hard drive core, I'd suggest an EMP wave to wipe the core memory. And then he says, this thing is Pentagon Black, Pentagon Black Ops at the highest security level. It took a little effort to acquire the data. And Flash just says, I won't ask. And I don't think I'd ever really noticed before, but Batman's suit is really torn and tattered while he's oh, saying this. I hadn't noticed that either, yeah. That is cool. Now, is that uh, from him trying to get this data, or is that the looking glass people with the Manhattan uh, on Paris Isle? 
I choose to believe it's because he's just fought his way out of a Pentagon yeah. <laughs> Black Ops facility. Who knows um, with Batman? I would say this does also make the Wildcats crossover timeline a little woolly as well. Because if appeared before that week and it came from Epoch's arsenal, kind of suggesting that the Wildcats crossover happened a few pages earlier? Do you think? Yeah, uh, that is a good point. Uh, maybe we're overthinking this. No, and yeah, maybe. Epoch is the Lord of Time. Yeah, this is why I was so insistent that we had to do the Wildcats crossover before this. I feel like, yeah, they, they must have been... It, the Wildcats crossover must have been in that week. And if it's while they're trying to work out what if is... No, or maybe he unleashed it. Maybe. But he's it's a time travel thing, isn't it? So they battle yeah. Epoch, and then he unleashes if, but he unleashes if earlier than when their battle was. Because it says, it, it suggests that it was actually the US military that accidentally unleashed yeah. if. Yeah. It must be in that week. It has to it's be. Gotta, it's got to be in that week. Uh, it's time travel. Yeah. Time travel did it. We'll say that's what happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But now, but now that Wally has the information about how to defeat If, uh, he he races into the battle uh, to tell Superman what we're up against. And again, I, a, a needless but very cool picture of Superman. I think <laughs> just crackling with so many Kirby crackles yeah. of energy pouring off him, and also a, a fun but needless moment where a burning car is falling towards Jean. Yeah, so Flash is telling Superman what if is, and halfway through, he's like, oh god, John, car's exploding, fire will kill him, and that's one word. Uh, so he then says, I think I can move fast enough to catch the pieces. Should have just pushed John out of the way, really, because before Flash can take the car apart, Superman just catches it. Do you think Do you think at this point it was almost like in the contract of both Grant Morrison and Howard Porter, where we just have to have one badass Flash moment in every episode? Because I feel like Howard Porter is clearly having the time of his life drawing Flash right now. I I honestly think of the characters, it's Flash that he has the best handle on so far. Mm, Flash definitely. is the one he draws the best at this point in the run. And I've got I've got to say, like this panel of like Wally running up the side of a building, yeah. in this kind of blur of energy, like it's it's amazing. It's got that kind of hyper-kinetic kind of just anatomy and movement, which is so superheroes and so impossible in real life. But yeah. It just... It's, it's, it's astonishing. Like, it's everything... It's, sorry, it's so larger than life. I, 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 It's really a work of art. Like, I think it's beautiful. It really is. And uh, as, as, as you say, pointless, though, because he's... Well, okay, he's caught a few little bits, and then Superman just catches the car, and John's fine, and we won't talk about that anymore. Whatever. Wonder Woman saves some civilians, but then it's... um. This brilliant Green Lantern moment. He's generated a, a a giant ramp, spiral ramp that he's catching cars on, and then just rolling down it like he's playing with a big toy garage. Yeah, and uh, Tomorrow Woman uh, working kind of like in perfect harmony with Green Lantern to maneuver these falling cars yeah. onto this giant toy ramp. I mean, I think I I may have even had like a similar toy when I was very young. I think everyone did, didn't they? It's like a, it's like a little Fisher Price yeah. garage or something like that. And um, 
Yeah, and Wonder Woman has already... Uh, sorry, Wonder Woman. Tomorrow Woman has already picked up uh, telepathically that they can defeat if with an electromagnetic pulse. And then we, we cut to Morrow and Ivo, still looking through her eyes at Green Lantern, and Ivo's like, now she's going to say me! Detonate in his face and fry what little brain he has. Don't you love a machine with a sense of humour? And this is where things start to go wrong, because Tomorrow Woman... She's she's kind of, kind of talking oddly, and she's like, it's like she's about to say that line, and she goes, "But but I can't. Like I, I think I'm a bad person. Like deep inside somewhere, I know I'm a bad person, but I don't have to do what I'm told." And Kyle, and Kyle is quite rightly it, confused. Kyle, Kyle's like, "What?" <laughs> and then uh, tomorrow, a woman just rockets up into the sky and goes, "I don't want to hurt any of you," and and it's 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 sad and it's horrible but it's it's also kind of this is the moment like this is where this is it because like um ivo's like no wait a minute this isn't what we planned what's she doing morrow and tomorrow just has this look on his face and he goes can't you see she's being good but it's a weird look of pride he looks proud i know it's and and it's terrible what they've done to her but it it's it's a it's a beautiful storytelling moment because they're watching through her eyes as she is rocketing towards if like an absolute blur. And Ivo misconstrues this as no, she's she's just getting distance. She's preparing. She's going to run at them. She's preparing to destroy the Justice League. And then just this lovely monologue from Morrow where he says, "No, no, she isn't. She's overriding her program codes, shutting down telepathic broadcast facilities. She's making her own decisions." I told you I could build a better synthetic being, and there's the proof, Ivo, you hideous toad. It's all in the brain, and neural plexus so intricate it was able to spontaneously generate a rudimentary ethical code. When did your Amazo ever feel anything? When did he ever defy his programming? I'm a genius. She's amazing. And we get this close-up on Tomorrow Woman's face with a, a smile, and then she collides with If, and there's this colossal explosion. And she collapses to the ground in like a, a ball of fire and, and Superman races after her. A- and, you know, Jean is left to pick up If, which is now just like a harmless kind of beach ball yep. lying on the floor. And the League look on in horror to see what remains of Tomorrow Woman, where she's kind of now like this withered, burnt husk of her former self and like all her hair's gone and her her eyes are kind of grey and metallic and yeah she's just ruined basically Kyle says he doesn't know what she is and doesn't know if there's anything they can do cuts back to Ivo and Morrow who've lost contact with her now and Ivo starts shouting you did this just to prove a point and you know how much money we spent and Morrow's like ah we can steal more I just showed you a soul being born I love how proud Morrow is of their failure yeah, like I guess he's he's a he's a monster, but he's he's an artist. Like he's he he's taken genuine pride in that he made something which rebelled against him. Yeah, and and Superman's picked up Tomorrow Woman's body, and she's still barely functioning, and she's ashamed. She says, "Don't look at me." And Superman's just like, you know, why did why didn't you didn't have to sacrifice yourself? Why did you do it? And yeah, and then she just goes. I, and then a kind of like 
and there's like a click, like a metallic click noise, and you kind of imagine just like like a robotic voice on repeat, just going word not present in vocabulary. Yeah, her her speech bubbles have become square with a jagged lightning bolt like point to them to show artificiality. It's a robotic voice. It's not natural, and she just and, keeps repeating it. Yeah, and smoke just pours out of her mouth, and that's and that is the end of Tomorrow Woman, sadly. And we cut to Tomorrow and Ivo, who are pouring out the last of the champagne. And um, they raise their glasses in a, in a, in a toast, and uh, Ivo goes, Funny how these machines of yours always end up on the good guy's side, isn't it? You must be that mag scientist we're always hearing about. <laughs> and Tomorrow, tomorrow goes, I'll have you know, I studied mad science at Harvard, you oaf. And they laugh together. It's lovely. It's, it's genuinely lovely. And but then the wall explodes, and I love how the laughter kind of dies, and uh, they just kind of look out and they go, "Well, how about the one toast that never goes out, never goes stale?" As Wonder and, Woman and Jean appear, and Jean says, "We'd like you to come with us," and they toast each other. Morrow and Ivo clink their glasses, and Ivo says, "To the good old days." And yeah, and then we. We cut to the graveyard of, of the superheroes, this memorial, and we Superman is back at a graveside, and um, the vicar goes, I wasn't sure what to say, Superman. I'm sorry. I haven't buried many machines. And Superman goes, no, and you didn't bury one today. And it's a statue of Tomorrow Woman in the memorial garden with the rest of the heroes. So PJ, our our, our first uh, utterly standalone story. Yeah, yeah. What, it, do you, it, what do you what do you think? I think, and this is this is the thing that actually doing this podcast with you has has made me look at these issues in a different way. So I've I've read these comics so many times, and and I love them. But read you know reading them this time i'm thinking about the fact that i have to then talk about them with you and that, that i have to have <laughs> things to say about them and i it makes me put more thought into it than i maybe have done before so this is the first time i've read that issue and thought do you know what this is a throwback it's a real throwback to the old school days of the 60s and the early 70s when superhero comics weren't doing big multi-part stories, when they were, or every issue was a done-in-one, and they packed so much into that one issue, one issue that these days would be a four-part story. And that's what Morrison's done here. There is a lot that happens in this issue, but it doesn't feel busy. It doesn't feel overcrowded. It just feels like a really solid, well-done, well-executed story. And you get so much in there. You get the... New, the league meeting new superman effectively you get the auditions you get tomorrow woman joining the league as a traitor and then turning against her creators which is also a very old school 60s early 70s superhero <laughs> story um i love it i i i agree actually no it's 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 amazing uh what you've hit on there because again this was 1997 and this is a time in comics where having I guess, kind of come through some of the worst successes of the 90s. We were starting to get this trend in comics for, I believe, quote-unquote, decompressed storytelling, which we kind of saw in The Authority, 
over at Wildstorm, like their initial the initial run on the Authority, which we definitely saw in something like the Ultimates mm. over at Marvel, which I know was a few years later. But I think this is interesting though, because I think for the longest time comics were seen as certainly Western kind of American superhero comics were seen as disposable. Like by their very nature, they were trash. You know, they yep. really weren't seen as a high art form. And I think some of that insecurity uh, in comics, you know, because we, we, we spent so long being told that our, the work wasn't important, led to this drive to be more cinematic, to go for like bigger, bigger, bolder storytelling. Like um, you look at something like The Ultimates, like that first arc, it's really a story about nothing happening for six issues, yeah. but it's paced like a movie versus being paced like a comic. And while that led to a lot of bigger, grander, more either important or self-important, I'm not entirely sure, but like Both. weightier. <laughs> yeah, it led to a lot of weightier stories where I think we were desperately trying to make comics feel meaningful. I do feel we lost a little something because like those one and done kind of standalone superhero stories had a lot of charm. Like it was like, get in, get out efficiency of storytelling you've no idea if someone will be able to pick up the following issue so just entertain them in one story and it's a shame really i'd like to see more of it like i'm guilty of it like in doing big story arcs and everything i think there's a lot to be said for like a self-contained little story yeah and it's it's that weird thing where it's it's both a throwback in that you've got the justice league fighting mad scientist characters uh who someone infiltrates the league someone who's either been given powers or created by this which was a staple you know you look back at how many characters joined either the avengers or the justice league to infiltrate it on behalf of villains on, on the avengers alone you get wonder woman not wonder woman wonder man you <laughs> wonder, get, man. <laughs> wonder man you get the vision um you get uh Oh, um, uh, triathlon much later. Yeah, the, um, the second, I think it was the second yellow jacket, Rita Damara. She was supposed to infiltrate the Avengers and then turn on them, and she didn't. Um, it happened so many times with the League, Red Tornado, uh, as they mentioned in this issue. Um, it's a classic story. Um, and then the, the 90s trappings, both better and worse, you have to be honest here, if is a very out there idea that I don't think you would have had in the in the 60s it's a very Morrison thing if but then also the rampant misogyny that happens with both Hitman and Green Lantern yeah that's probably the only the only mar on this uh, this issue actually yeah and and it's and it's it's actually kind of odd because there's not there's really nothing like that later in the series yeah it's weird um and it comes out of nowhere i mean hitman wizard did when they did their jla special during uh, while this series was being published, um, they sort of listed their top twenty moments also from Morrison's JLA run, and the Hitman moment was one of them. And their reasoning was, you know, Morrison brought in this character who had no place being on the book. Why was he there? How does he even get up to the moon? It's so outrageous. And yeah, that you that is true, and it is weird. But then you stop and think about it. How did he do that? How did he even get up there? Who invited him? No one on the league would have nominated or invited that guy. And then to have that moment with Wonder Woman as well is just not... I wonder if it was maybe like some weird kind of in-joke 
at the studio, uh, not yeah. the studio, but, but you know, kind of like among the publishers, it was kind of like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be funny if so and so kind of turns up? Yeah. I, can, I can imagine, I can imagine that happening. Yeah, like it is odd, actually. The yeah, yeah, but I kind of like how it's a good. If you hadn't done what we've done and had this massive diversion at this point, it, you'd be right off the back of. New World Order. You'd be right off the back of this big kind of setting the scene, changing everything. This is the new status quo. It's actually a nice little breather. And I think, yeah, to go in from a big, well, not big, but to go in from like a big opening statement where it's like, hey, this is how the series is going to work. And then taking the time to do a smaller, a smaller little story. Yeah. Like, it's nice. Like, it's lovely. It's a nice breather. And I don't think I've ever actually read new world order and american dreams back to back like that um because i had some time in between buying them a few weeks at least and then every time i've done a reread of jla i always go from new world order into um earth 2 oh interesting yeah that would make sense um which we haven't done because earth 2 is big and i think we're still struggling with working out how we're going to cover it <laughs> um, but uh but yeah so it's not something I've I've ever really done, but actually, yeah, it would be a nice little breather. And um, oh, just to say as well, Tomorrow Woman is one of the characters on the cover of the trade who we didn't mention earlier. Yes, and I think um, I think Tomorrow Woman even gets an appearance on the massive uh, double page cover of uh, JLA Avengers. She does, yes, Part three. She does, which again is a. To, to Kurt Busiek and, and George Perez, I mean, like, flipping heck, the research I had to go into getting those characters. I mean, poor George Perez having to draw it. But. She both appears on that cover and has a cameo moment in the fourth issue because ah. Perez and, and Busiek were determined to get every single character who'd ever been part of each team in into that series. And But but really, that is the end of that character. Like, yeah. in, in standard continuity, they've never... I don't believe they've ever been compelled to do anything with her again and i actually kind of admire their restraint yeah because it's like you can't help it it's like a nervous tick like i it's like the moment you get on a i imagine the moment you get given the reins to write the avengers or write jla it's you're gonna dig up something from continuity to bring back and it's so hard to let a character die in comics like it's like we can't help ourselves we have to keep kind of digging them up again and doing stuff with them and yeah as tragic as her death is it would almost it would be a shame to bring her back because it would make her death kind of meaningless i do wonder if maybe the only reason she hasn't come back is that dc have rebooted continuity so many times that everyone's so confused about what is and isn't continuity that to bring her back would just require a whole raft of well, is this, isn't this, explaining how it is and is just too complicated to uh, do at this point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just enjoy the moment. I yeah. think that's what... I, we've got to be very zen. We've got to be the zen masters of comic continuity here because, yeah, like here we are looking back at a story from 20 years ago which has probably been retconned and revised and, you know, maybe, you know, is the current version of JLA even remotely linked to the one we we're talking about right now like who knows like you just got to pick your moments really yes very much so very much so so um 
PJ, is there is there anything more to say that we haven't uh, we haven't you know kind of touched upon already? Um, I don't think so. I think um, yeah, because we're 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 going to get into a two part story next, uh, which brings in another character who's on the cover of the book. I'm not going to say who yet, um, <laughs> but I think for tomorrow, woman, and that story, that's pretty much it. So a massive thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, and additionally, a big thank you to Gav Mitchell for doing our cover artwork. And to uh, Elliot Red for doing our amazing theme tune, Justice. And if you'd like to follow myself, PJ, Gav or Elliot, all our uh, social media details are in the description. And PJ, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. I It feels so great to be back in the main continuity. It really get, does. I know. I, I've i enjoyed the unearthing these weird little moments, but like I've been itching to get back to American Dreams in particular because I just know what's coming. Like It's going to be great. Oh, me too. Me too. There is a, I will just say one thing. In a few, few issues' time, there is a reworking of a classic Justice League character that is just amazing. <laughs> I know. I mean, this is like, listeners, like, you're in for a treat. Like, we've got a good few episodes coming up here. Um, PJ, uh, on that optimistic note, uh, could you please uh, do us the honours and uh, and sign us off? I, I, I forgot that I was the one that does that and I hadn't come up with one this week, so I'm just going to say uh, I'll steal one. Catch you on the flip side, dude meisters. Bye.